Welcome to Sudbury Scrub, a 40k podcast for the Sudbury community, season 4. Alright, so, had a match last night against Andrew Bowery. Had on the same table as I had uh, in my match against Aaron, because I didn't want to take apart that table and put it back together. <laughs> um, and it was Andrew's first 2,000 point game of 9th edition. So there was a, there was a lot to go through. It ended up being a, a fantastic game. Just a, a a real. There were some real tough calls to make along the way for both sides. And uh, so I'll give you the quick scoop on it. I was running the same list I was running against Aaron. So we're talking about a brigade of bladed cog. That's almost in. It's got just a ton of troops. Lots of acolytes and neophytes. Got a squad of brute brothers. Got. Uh, Laz Cannon, heavy support team. Uh, has a core of Gene Stewart cult characters like the Patriarch, Primus, Icon Ward, Locus, Nexos, and Kellermorph. And uh, two uh, rock, rock Grinders. Uh, the main difference is instead of having the Chimera transport like it did again in the game against Eren, I figured I'd try to change it up and see how a squad of bikes would do. So, that was the main change there. My goal for the game would remain the same, but my opponent now was Ultramarines. Uh, and so, Andrew had brought a Battalion and a Spearhead Detachment. Uh, the Battalion was three squads of uh, Intercessors with the Bolt Rifles, the Intercessor Bolt Rifle. Uh, had Marnus Kalgar, had a Captain, uh, there was three units of three aggressors with all the bolters and frag storm launchers. Uh, and he also then had in the spearhead, he had a lieutenant. And I think there was another captain somewhere. Was it three captains? No. no two captains, Calgar, and a lieutenant. Yes. Um, and there were three minimum sized squads of hellblasters as well. So, and three impulsors. Three impulsor transports. So, he had a, a lot of uh, similar firepower within his list, and he had some very good maneuverability with those impulsors. This is actually my first game against the impulsors, too. Uh, we ended up rolling up the um, Vital Intelligence. I think that might have been it. Uh, it's the one where it has minimized losses as the potential secondary. Um, it was a hammer and anvil style deployment with six objectives. However, unlike the last one, uh, this one you only needed to hold one for a point, hold two for another, uh, sorry, hold one for five points, hold two for another five points, and of course hold more. Uh, we, I, blah, 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 blah. still in the morning, still need to finish my coffee, which Andrew was nice enough actually to buy me a coffee last night as well, so that was really great. Ah, alright, uh, so I had gone for the secondaries, I had a really hard time picking my secondaries. Space Marines just do not give up very many secondaries. Uh, I had gone with Linebreaker, I had gone with uh, grind them down, and I'd gone with raise the banners high. 
I went with the grind the down because I was thinking maybe I can have a couple of turns, and if I get lucky, maybe three turns, that I can just kill some more stuff. He had lots of units. And because he had so many units, different units, I thought maybe I'll be able to get grind them down a little bit more easily. And I did bring it close, I think, a few times. Uh, we, meanwhile, Andrew had gone for grind them down. He had taken the mission specific of minimize losses. Um, and he had gone with... What was his last one there? Oh, right, and bring them down. He had gone with the uh, kill my vehicles. So, as a quick description of the match, I was able to choose deployment sides, and I was able to go first again, which I was very curious to see how the same kind of strategy was gonna work against the Space Marines. Again, I moved forward with as much as I really could to get on the objectives. Uh, Andrew had done a redeployment at the start of the game, bringing a lot of his forces back into an isolated corner. I think he, that since this was his first game against the cult, he was a little worried about what some of these cult things could do. So he backed away in order to try to form a more defensive line. However, in backing away, I was able to really pounce on a number of objectives and get my flag planted again. Kind of the same thing what happened against the Astra Militarum. Um, I didn't kill, I don't think I killed anything turn one. Not, I didn't kill any full units, I should say, turn one. I did cause some losses, which was nice. He was able to respond, kill one of the rock riders, seriously hurt another one, um, but didn't get it to half profile. He did get down to six wounds. The rock, uh, the rock, the ridge runners that had moved up and kind of secured the other side were able to, uh, survive for the most part, I think uh, it came to one Ridge Runner did survive with two wounds, uh, but it, they took a ton of firepower to try to dislodge, uh, and ultimately he was unsuccessful in dislodging them. He had moved up an Impulsor with some dudes, tried to come on out, but because my Ridge Runners had blocked off the objective, he wasn't able to actually get out, and because when you come out from the Impulsor like that, uh, you can't charge so he wasn't able to get the last few inches he needed to wrap around and steal the objective that way which meant that at the start of my turn I was able to have um, I still held the same number of objectives as him so I didn't score hold more but I was able to score uh, holding enough and then I was going to try to knock him off of his stuff uh, so I was able to secure my lead on a few objectives. Uh, I was able to take down one of the Impulsors and the guys that were inside. When that Impulsor blew, holy, I did not realize these Impulsors explode so hard. He rolled a 6 on that Impulsor, getting destroyed, and in so doing, it killed off a, uh, a captain. It killed off the last... It killed off... Uh, two models from an aggressive ride. He got max six damage against him. It's a D6 uh, mortal wound explosion. And meanwhile, he didn't actually cause a whole lot of damage to myself. Uh, my other guys were able to take down the last of those uh, hell blasters that had come out there. Meanwhile, my Patriarch moved up onto the landing platform in the middle and charged and take out the hell blaster squad that had set up up there. 
Um, I think I came out ahead in points on that exchange, but that wasn't actually a great choice. That was definitely a mistake, because on his turn he was able to uh, take down the Ridge Runner that easily had only two wounds. So he was able to take down the Ridge Runner that was trying to block. Um, the Patriarch did take a number, a, a good amount of damage, but ultimately was taken down and before the second, the third aggressor squad, well, second now, even had to fire its shots. Uh, I had scored Linebreaker in the previous turn for Deep Stripe King in the back. Unfortunately, I had chosen to bring down my Keller Morph in a somewhat exposed position, forgetting about Auspex Scan, even though I called it out. Mm, excuse me. Um, and yeah, the Keller Morph just got annihilated before it had a chance to do anything. Uh, but I had put down enough units in the backfield in order to uh, get the start the line breaker train going. And because um, Andrew had deployed into that corner, that did give me just enough space to kind of start doing that, to bring down these units and put them in positions that were harder to get to. With other things on the objectives, he couldn't really devote the time to start killing these guys. I could see how maybe uh, de uh, deploy teleport homer or repair teleport homer might be effective here uh, just in order to kind of force firepower in a direction that maybe somebody doesn't want. But ultimately, yes, he wasn't able to... Uh, he did kill a number of my stuff, but he wasn't able to take me off objective, so on my next turn, I was able to get the hold more and start scoring a bunch of secondary points off of Raise the Banner. On my turn, I was able to even push him off of another one just by going in and taking an objective that was originally held by the Ridge Runners that he had moved on to. This did mean that when it came back to his turn, which again, I didn't really kill very much stuff, uh, Impulsor had survived encounter with a 10-man unit of Acolytes with the Banner and Roxas, and uh, he was able to pull it out by the skin of his teeth on that, and not die on that, um, And but I still got the objective there, which meant that he only had a single objective marker on his turn, so he only got score, he only got 5 points for his primary that turn, rather than 10, like he had the previous turn. At this point, uh, he started just being able to take down unit after unit, and I, I had, I was just kind of banking on, okay, have I pushed him back enough that I can score just some points from banners and having guys in places in order to close out the game, as he, as Andrew was able to just kind of start moving around, killing off units, charging them if necessary, which he wasn't able to, he might have been able to on that turn, move around, shoot, charge, take things out, um, but was costly for him to do so, and he only just was able to kind of get to some of these spots. So he did start knocking down some banners, uh, but at the end of the game, we ended up with a score of, yeah, so he started moving around, he just was taking things out left, right, and center. I did end with, um, a unit in his deployment zone, but not two, so I didn't score a line breaker for... Uh, the final points there, and he took uh, the heavy weapons team down to one model, so those were the only guys I had left, so a near table wipe on my side again, 
Uh, however, the points were 77 to 72. Um, the, on the very last turn of the game, Andrew wasn't able... I was able to kill uh, that Impulsor, finally. At one, that was at one wound. Um, however, Andrew was only able to kill one of my units as well. Uh, which meant that he didn't score grind them down the last turn. And I so I scored grind... I got my full 45 on my primary. Uh, I got... I think it was 12, 10, 10 or 12 points on, uh, it was 10 points on Raise the Banners during the game. I got 12 points on Line Breaker, but I got zero points on Grind Them Down. I really should have gone for something else, even just something like Kill Vehicles. I ended up killing two of his Impulsors, which would have been six points, uh, or I killed two of his characters. Uh, Gullman, actually, on turn three, um, had an encounter with some Acolytes that had the Heavy Rock Cutters, uh, that were actually able to put through the snip snip, and uh, <laughs> then they snipped them. Yeah, so uh, the, yeah, first first wound put him down to five um, because of his armor having the damage on those things, and I rolled and I didn't get it. But the next, the second uh, rock cutter uh, put through again one damage, brought him down to four, and did the snip, and bam, there he was. He got rolled uh, a six was higher than his four wounds remaining, and uh, and he went down in one cut like that, which is just, uh, which is pretty crazy. Very, I've, that was, I think, the biggest model I've ever was able to get that, and I haven't gone that off very much at all, but uh, yeah, that was the biggest model I ever did get that off on, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so I killed a captain and a uh, not Gullman, um, Calgar, in that way, so had I selected, you know, kill characters, I would have scored it there. Had I even selected, uh, Slay the Warlord, which maybe would have had him to play him even more defensively, uh, but if he wasn't playing him defensively, then that would have been an option there too, and I could have scored some points on that, that way, uh, but grind them down was definitely the wrong choice. We both played fully painted armies, which meant we both got our 10 points as well. So just uh, for mark of measure, yeah, 77 to 72. Um, so if it wasn't painted, it would have been... Well, actually, I think that's good. I, I like think, looking at things as painted, um, because then you get to see it out of 100, and you get to see kind of where you were. Uh, Andrew, meanwhile, ended up with 35 primary points. Uh, his secondaries... He had scored 12 for Grind Them Down, because he did just miss that one turn. He scored 10 for Grind Them Down, uh, which was the Kill My Vehicles. What is it? Grind Them... Uh, bring It Down, sorry. He scored uh, 10 for Bring It Down, which was Killing Vehicles, because he killed all of my vehicles, but none of them scored um, more than the two points. They were all, all five were just worth two points. Uh, and he had scored... Uh, his last one, which I can't remember right now. He didn't score much for his, his uh, final one either. Whichever one that was. I mentioned it earlier before. <laughs> oh, he's a, a grind them down, bring them down. Um, minimize losses, right. So I had... Okay, so yes, uh, for minimize losses, he did have... Uh, I had killed one unit more than 50%, so he only ended up scoring five points 
on minimized losses. So yeah, you know what? That's had I not been able to kill that final impulsor that was that one wound, then he wouldn't have been able to make it. Now there, were, he did have an, uh, another lieutenant and captain that were uh, lieutenant was think that one wound left. Captain, I think it was two or three wounds left. So there were other chances there. But always is a fun, fun game when it's close, because then there's lots of little things that you could point to and say, oh, what if I had done this, what if I had done that? And that is a really great time. Okay, well that took a bit longer than I wanted, so I am going to have to describe uh, some of my thoughts on the game, other than just the recap, when I get back for the return drive. Welcome to Sudbury Scrub. Oh, why am I saying welcome? Welcome back. So, I've been trying to put together uh, the second part of this episode now a few times. I've had some difficulty because what I really want to talk about is terrain in 9th edition and how it affected our game there uh, and other things that it does affect. And I was kind of just struggling to really kind of talk about it. I figured, you know what, maybe the best way to talk about it is in a tournament setting, and wham! Here come the Goonhammer guys with a wonderful roundtable discussion about terrain in 9th edition and how it affects tournaments. Huh. So that gave me quite a bit of inspiration for the rest of this episode here. Uh, so, what I, one of the things I was mentioning in my um, other attempts at making this episode was how few uh, games I'm being seen played online that have what I would consider the appropriate amount to train. Now, I say appropriate because I'm thinking Games Workshop's new recommendations on amounts of train, one piece of train per uh, square foot of the board. Now, how you kind of break that down is kind of where some of this discussion is happening. But point is, I'm seeing a lot of tables that I only see like eight pieces of terrain, maybe nine, which is, you know, a fine amount of terrain in eighth edition. But in ninth edition, just doesn't seem to cut the mustard. Um, but there's a lot of questions about it, like you know, trying to define some of these pieces of terrain. Uh, you know, how big should one of these pieces of terrain be? Games Workshop hasn't really said. Like, technically, a piece of terrain could be, um, you know, one little three-inch long barricade. That's a piece of terrain. Well, okay, that's true. And honestly, that I would count that. Um, but you don't really see a whole lot of that on the table. You don't really, you know, how big should a forest be? A forest could be as small as, you know, two inches by two inches, just some bush. Whereas on another table, a single forest piece could be, you know, over 12 inches long and five inches wide, which is, you know, like half a square foot. So, you know, not really defining the size on that definitely has an impact. And also not really, you know, so game, also Games Workshop didn't really define um, what they kind of really meant. 
I saw a very creative interpretation for some people saying, oh, you need 15 pieces of terrain on the table with this new rule. And that didn't make any sense to me. Finally, somebody said it in a way that I understand now what they mean. Uh, they're thinking of a full square foot, not rounding up. It's like, hey, you can fit 15 one foot by one foot squares onto a table of the new size. And so with that in mind, now that kind of makes more sense to me. Now it's like, okay, it's they're not thinking in the way that I think of square foot. They're thinking how many squares can I fit into this table? Um, so that has an impact there for how much terrain that people think you should be in. Myself, I like the idea of 19 pieces. It's a lot of pieces. Uh, and if you just say screw it, <laughs> you don't really pay too much attention to how big or small those pieces are. And if it's a really big piece, then you know just count it as two. If it's if it's monstrous, count it as two. But really, even if it's a big piece, count it as one. And if you also count the little pieces as one, and you just kind of throw a bunch of stuff on the table, it'll work out. It really will. The main thing in my mind is. You want to make sure to have a good, diverse amount of the terrain available, because that really impacts things. And I like an idea of a table that is um, mostly, or at least in some regards, uh, is uh, a mirror of each other. That, that the two two sides of the table will be um, uh, mirror images of each other, or identical in some way. They'll, there's a word for it that's escaping me at the moment. But that idea that if, if you have a forest on one side, there should be a forest on the other side. Whether it's a direct mirror or an inverted mirror, I don't really care. Uh, I like the inverted mirror myself because I feel that causes this. Uh, if there is a, a, a natural flow then to the table for what direction you're going to move things in, then at least that's going to be a consistent flow on both sides, right? And so long as you do that, I think we're going to arrive at the right amount. And I think it is important to have lots of this train. I really do think that um, it's a big part of it. Why? Because, well, you have, in my mind, really three kinds of new terrain rules that massively impact the game. Uh, one of them is not new, but it's just such a big part. You have to you have to approach your mind on it. Is obscuring. Uh, in the past, the way that things were obscuring just was different, with people talking about ITC ruins, where it's like, well, you just, with in ITC, you can't see through the bottom level of a ruin, right? And so that just kind of artificially helped to create this, um, these hiding spots on the board. And then from that, we got the L-shaped, uh, the L-shaped walls that you may have seen a lot online. Uh, because those were cheap and easy to make. Oh, that's where this guy's going. All right. Uh, those were cheap and easy to make um, to get a good amount of terrain on a table for inexpensive, and they blocked a ton of sight such that you could even hide knights behind them. Well, Games Workshop saying, nope, we don't want knights to be able to hide because you're, you, you know, you're over so many wounds that you can uh, still see somebody through windows and stuff like that. But they do want to say, if you're not a knight, if you're not a really big model, uh, then we want these things to just totally block seeing you. 
right? So the way that obscure works creates a lot of hiding spots on the board, but you don't want to just have Sorry, but you don't want to just have these hiding spots either. Uh, you want to have multiple different kinds of things that are going on. That's where these other ones come into effect. I really like any ground that's difficult. Uh, specifically, I really like craters. I think craters are very cool because they are kind of the opposite of the walls. The walls that you can kind of move through and you can jump through really help assault elements. Um, and they are because they're, they're able to make the game kind of feel fast for those units because those units can get through whereas other units can't craters i really like because all ground units are slowed down through them and as you go across them you are slowed so the game especially with the table getting smaller wherever there's a crater or wherever there's difficult ground the game gets longer gets larger and it's that little difference. I like craters that are close to objectives for this because you got to be very careful how you approach those objectives. Um, and you can kind of use the craters to your advantage to help defend the objective because it's farther to that objective than it may look, which I think is just really cool. Lastly, uh, yeah, forests and other dense terrain is just so 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 important in the new edition i wouldn't want to see a table without at least two pieces of dense terrain i don't care if you just artificially say this thing here is dense do it you need to have dense terrain on the table it just makes so much so much shooting so much less effective um on the long distances Whereas at the same time, it kind of provides this point that it's like, okay, if I get up to this, then I'm not going to be affected by the dense terrain anymore. Because it has, with it being, if it's dense area terrain, when you get up to it and you touch it, anything that uh, you shoot out, you can shoot out of that dense terrain now with no issue. So just getting up and touching the dense terrain is really helpful uh, for a shooting unit too. So it provides a good reason for the shooting units to move out from their deployment zones. So I like deployment zones having, uh, I like the ends of the table uh, having of the obscured, the obscuring, the ruins kind of thing, because those are really good defensive spots where it's like, hey, I can just totally hide here. You can't hit me. Um, and then I like kind of the, the very central midfield also to be obscuring because that provides something to kind of dance around, which is cool. And then I like having a smattering of uh, difficult and dense terrain uh, that kind of eats up the, the midfield where it's like, okay, as you kind of come through this, or as you, as you come around that central area, it's now, it's hard, like the middle you can't see at all, but around the edges of that middle, you can't see very well. You're at that penalty to shoot. I think it's, it's really great. And when you have 19 pieces of terrain, you are going to be involved with the terrain in some way or another at all times of the game. The, the terrain kind of starts being, becoming inescapable at that point with that many pieces of terrain on the table. You are always going to be uh, benefited from or hindered by the terrain in one way or another. 
at almost all parts of the game. And then it also makes the open spark points of the game, the open, uh, the open locations, kind of act as terrain as well. What's that terrain? Oh, that's open terrain. That's terrain that's not where you're not being from at all from anything. And then that those areas feel very naked. Those areas feel like okay, you're in an exposed position because you are not anywhere. That's really interesting too. And I think that plays really well with some of the things that are in the game. Like I said, vehicles moving and shooting at no penalty uh, is a big part of that. Because now, hey, you have a lot of incentive to get vehicles up into position where they have vision, easy vision, not, not going through dense cover to units that are in the open. And that's just really cool. Then what do you do? Well, you get your unit somewhere that's not in the open from there. And then when you do that, maybe though it is open from somewhere else. And that's where these units are now going to move to. Or these units are now moving from that. Okay, well, they've used this dense terrain now as kind of a jumping off point to an objective. Now the objectives, uh, you know, the new focus of attention. I just find lots of terrain on the table right now makes for a really interesting game. Um, where your normal concepts of things just kind of start going out the window in terms of, hey, here's my guys, can they get to this or not? And relating that to the game that we had, like, we were having situations um, where it's like, okay, well, here's the here's this crater, and oh, you can't get to it, because your impulsor's fast, but doesn't get all the way up to this. I've blocked it off, the objective off from this direction, and the only other direction to get to the objective is through the crater, which is difficult, and now you just can't get there. So it helps th that crater kind of became like almost like a third model for me on my side for my purposes of just trying to block things off. I, I think that's just really, really cool. Now they talked about a lot of other things in the round table discussion, uh, especially, you know, in terms of like secondaries and going first, going second, a lot of stuff. Uh, if this was another year of the BPO, I'd happily, you know, change around some things, but especially with it being Everyone wants to get their feet wet now with 9th edition. Uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of crazy stuff coming out. We're not going to do any of that nutso. We're not We're not going to really modify the game. Uh, we're just going to go along with what it is. And like I said, expect to see these really packed terrain tables at the BPO. Really excited for it. So that's the episode. Thanks for listening. This is Sudbury Scrub. Uh, oh, what was my new call-off? What was I going to call it off with? Oh, well. Oh, right, right. Uh, so, the Sudbury Scrub saying, uh, keep scoring. Keep scoring those uh, those primaries. Uh, keep get Hold two objectives every turn. <laughs> Take care, folks.